The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he had asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees, walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been with us, we've been studying the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark for the past six months. Uh, We're studying this for several reasons. One, Jesus is arguably the most influential man to have ever lived, right? His life has made an indelible mark on our world that's pretty spectacular given that he was a poor single man raised by a single mom who received the death penalty in his early 30s over 2,000 years ago. It's pretty remarkable that he's actually made a mark on this world. And so this is an interesting intellectual endeavor. We get to spend a year, and many of you are here because of that. You're here just to check this out. Who is this Jesus? What did he teach? What's he about? Um, And you're here just kind of checking this out intellectually, right? We get to spend the next six months studying the life of a man who's made his mark on the world. What can we learn from this type type of man? What was his message? What did he say? What made this guy so special? And it's in answering these questions the past six months that this becomes much more than just an intellectual endeavor, right? Mark starts this gospel off by summarizing Jesus' entire ministry by saying this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So in summarizing Jesus' own ministry, the word gospel is used twice. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. People's response is to repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, what is the gospel? Well, gospel means good news. Jesus came declaring good news. And the appropriate response of that good news was people to repent, to turn away from their life of sin, and to turn to Jesus and believe this good news. But what is the good news? What is the gospel? The Apostle Paul answers that question for us um, in 1 Corinthians 15 like this. He said, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day and that he appeared to people after his resurrection, even 500 people. That was his gospel in a nutshell that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15. But listen, that is not the whole gospel. That's not all the good news. The gospel is the greatest news that has ever been told. But what is the best part of the gospel? What's the end of the gospel? What's the telos? What's the goal of the gospel? What's the highest good of the good news? Is it justification by faith? Is it the forgiveness of sins? 
Is it the removal of the wrath of God? Is it redemption from guilt and the liberation from slavery to sin? Is it salvation from hell? Is it entrance into heaven? Is it eternal life? Is it deliverance from all pain and sickness and conflict? All of these are precious promises bought by the blood of Christ for everyone who believes in him. But listen to the words of John John Piper. But they are not the highest and best and final good of the gospel. In fact, I would say that unless they lead to something else, these are not good news at all, Piper says. Piper says this, if you could be happy in heaven without the person of Jesus present, then you don't understand the gospel. No sickness, no pain, no death, but no Jesus is no gospel. So what is it? What is the ultimate end of the good news? What is the greatest news of the good news? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. I'm going to flip there really quick just to read it for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. This is what he says. I'm going to read verse 3 too. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Listen. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is the highest end of the gospel? It's to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the highest, ultimate good news of the good news. See, so the gospel is a historical event, like, first, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but it's more than just Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was resurrected on the third day. That's a historical event. Is that the gospel? Yes, that's the gospel in a nutshell. But in Romans 1, Paul says the gospel is also the power of God unto salvation. Okay, so there's another aspect of the gospel. It's the power of God. Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, the end, the goal of the gospel is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's the end of it. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. What does that mean? To apprehend the the supremacy of the worth of Jesus. To see Jesus as more valuable, as more beautiful than anything else in our life. To not only say, yep, Jesus died for my sins on the cross to pay my debt, but to see that act as the most beautiful act of love ever committed. That's what it is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. To see Jesus as more beautiful, more valuable, more beloved than anything else in your life. That's the ultimate end of the gospel. It's the end to which mankind was made for. What's the purpose of men? What's the end of man? To glorify God By enjoying him forever. How do you enjoy God? Well, it starts by seeing his value, seeing his worth. Seeing him as our highest and greatest joy. And listen, all other truths of the gospel serve this purpose. Now, let me show you this. This I'm going to quote Piper kind of at length here. Justification is good news because it makes us stand accepted by the one whose glory we want to see and savor above all things. 
Forgiveness is good news because it cancels all the sins that keep us from seeing and enjoying the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Removal of wrath and salvation from hell are good news because now in my escape from eternal misery, I find eternal pleasure beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. Eternal life is good news because this is eternal life, Jesus said, that they would know me and know him who sent me. Freedom from pain and sickness and conflict are good news because in my freedom from pain, I am no longer distracted from my fullest enjoyment of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. All right? So what makes heaven heaven is that we get to see the glory of Jesus without any obstruction of sin, of, of sickness, of pain. But the end of the gospel is to see Jesus as he really is, as fully more glorious than anything else in our life. That's the end of the gospel. It's not just forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sins makes seeing the glory of Christ available for us. It makes it, we can actually do it, right? This is the one of the reasons, now listen, this is what's interesting. This is one of the reasons why we're a gospel-centered church. This is why we exist. That the gospel isn't just the entryway into Christianity, okay? It's not just the entryway into Christianity. It's our center. It's our end. It's the whole of Christianity, the gospel is not the kindergarten of Christianity and then we grow up and we move on to more complex things. The entire life of the Christian, all right, from new birth to resurrection is meant to be living, beholding the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Your whole point of life is to see Jesus and to see him more clear today than I did yesterday. To behold his glory in a greater measure today than I did yesterday. And as we behold, 2 Corinthians 3 tells us, we become more like Jesus. As we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, we become more like him. We don't see, then this is totally different from the way I grew up hearing Christianity. We don't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, and then move on to other things. There is nothing more important, more central to our life than being able to see Jesus as our all. Now, let me illustrate this to you. Well, first off, I grew up coming to church Believe the gospel, believe Jesus died for your sins, check, okay, now let's go on to something else. Let's focus on your education, let's focus on sports, why? Because this is our mentality, this is our mentality. Consumerism is our highest end. So what do I want for my kids? I want them to be more well off financially than I was. Now I think that's a very poor goal for your parenting. But I think it, that's what we, mo- I think that's what we parent. Okay, are you, do you believe Jesus is your savior? Okay, check. Now, go get a good education. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can make more money. Why? So you can take more vacations. Right? Isn't this what we want for our kids? Why? Because we're shaped by materialism, by consumerism, more than we are the gospel. 
Are we teaching our kids from day one that the gospel is the entry point into Christianity? You believe Jesus Christ, he removes the wrath of God, he delivers us from our sins, but now we get to see Jesus and Jesus is the greatest good that you, he's better than a job, he's better than a vacation, he's more satisfying than a love life, right? He's more satisfying than a marriage, right? He's more satisfying than having kids, that only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. Only Jesus Only the glory of God in the face of Jesus can satisfy us. Now, all of the good news of the gospel, forgiveness, deliverance, all these things are meant to serve this purpose. It's like this. You take your kids to a water park or a theme park. When you're on your way home, what do you ask them? Or maybe it's at bedtime. What do you ask them? Did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? Why? Was it awesome? Why do we do that? Because all of our efforts, parents, and you know our efforts, the working overtime, the saving money, the taking off work, you're using your vacation for this theme park, which is not a vacation for you, the getting of a hotel room, which puts all of your kids in one or two rooms, right? Right? all of the sacrifice, and then it's non, if you have a family like mine, it's non-stop chasing and preventing death, right? (laughs) All of this effort, and the water park, right? The water park, they've built million dollar structures, and they've brought everything on campus, so you don't have to leave the campus, you just come there, and food is there, and drinks are there, and fun is there, and you want bumper cars, they're here, and you want to, you know, zip lines, they're here, and you want water, it's here. All of your efforts as parents, all of the water park's efforts, what are they for? I mean, we we could say they're for making money, but it's for their enjoyment. The end of all of these things is that when they leave, they say, that was fun, I want to go back, right? That was a great time, that was enjoyable. Now listen, that's the same way, that's the, that's, that's the, that's the, hmm, how do I say this? The same is true of the gospel. If you are not enjoying Jesus, if you're not seeing the glory of God in his face and being awed by it, being ravished by it, being brought into just a deep soul satisfaction by it, then you're not getting, you're not at the end of the gospel. You need more of the gospel. You need a fresh look into the gospel. The gospel isn't just to forgive us of our sins and get us to heaven when we die. The gospel is to satisfy our whole soul by beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, that's what we're talking about today. I think there's two types of people in this room this morning. One, those of you, you've never seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You've never seen it. You might be aware of him. You might know some facts about him. You might be intrigued by him. You might even say, I think he died on the cross. Um, But you don't find him enjoyable. You don't find him pleasurable. You don't see him as all sufficient and all satisfying. You say, I I, kind of like Jesus, but I have to have these other things. I have to be wealthy, or I have to have comfort, or I have to have a relationship. You don't find Jesus as all satisfying. I think many of us are like this. You know what we're like? We're like kids. We're like 
Kids that go to the Grand Canyon and they'd rather stay in their car and play Minecraft. Think about that. The Grand Canyon is glorious, right? No one goes, oh, and looks away from it. No one does that. You get in front of the Grand Canyon and immediately you go, whoa. And you feel really small, right? What did this? What made this? That's the glory of the Grand Canyon is like a lightning bug compared to the sun, okay? The glory of the Grand Canyon is like the glory of a lightning bug compared to the glory of the sun, okay? When you're comparing the Grand Canyon to the glory of God. And we're meant to look into the glory of God and be awed and be overwhelmed and be floored by it and be satisfied by it by looking at Jesus. So there's the first group, you've never been awed by the glory of Jesus and you need to see Jesus for the first time. And then there's this second group. The second group that we've seen Jesus, we've maybe had this saving sight, we've been saved by him, but we need a fresh sight. We need to behold the glory of God and the face of Christ in a new way. So everyone in this room, this is why we preach the way we preach and this is why we do the services the way we do and missional communities the way we do. In a, so in a sense, I know there's those two types of people here. Those, those who need to see Jesus for the first time and those of you who have, have just forgotten the glory of Jesus. You're just kind of blind to the glory of Jesus, right? You're playing Minecraft when the, when the Grand Canyon's in front of you. So what's, here's the interesting thing. I don't have to preach evangelistic sermons and then preach discipleship sermons. Sermons I have to preach one sermon. And that's, we all need to see Jesus. That's what our need in this room is. We need a fresh sight of the glory of Jesus that's only found through the gospel. All of us, this morning, your greatest need is a better glimpse into the gospel of grace. That's your greatest need this morning. And that's exactly what we see in this text. I want you to go to eight, chapter 8, verse 22. This is, one of, this is a unique encounter with Jesus. It's only found in the gospel of Mark. And it's, going, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Let's read it again. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Now, this is a very weird text, okay? And it's, it's actually um, solid evidence that the gospel is eyewitness account, and it's not stories made up by the gospels. Um, if you're making up if you're going to make up the Gospels and you want to make Jesus look like the Son of God, you don't include a story where it looks like he doesn't have enough power to heal a guy with blindness, right? He zap. Did it work? <laughs> right? You don't do this. I feel like almost like when my kids, when they're, they watch a YouTube video and they want to do a magic trick and they're like, Dad, watch. Uh, I mean, wait, watch. 
right? Like they show, they mess it up and they're like, and you're like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing with a penny. Oh, wait, no, let me do it again, right? It's like, it didn't work the first time. Let me do it again. It's very, it's a very weird text, right? It's a very weird encounter and it's proof that it's an actual encounter, right? The disciples wouldn't have included this if they just wanted to prove that Jesus was divine. And what we see, and you can, you can see it if you're highlighting words that are similar, you can see it, but you can really see it if you're reading it in the Greek. There's eight different Greek words in this two verses. There's eight different Greek words for, to see. So that should tell us right away, what's this about? It's about seeing. It's about a man's ability to see. We see a blind man. He can't see things clearly. Jesus touches him, and then he can kind of see things, and he kind of can't see things. It's all about our ability to see. And I'm going to say this. It's, it's a physical, real encounter, but even more than that, it's a parable. It's a parable for our inability to see, and it's a parable for the disciples' inability to see. This whole chapter 8 is all about people don't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. If you remember, last week, he just went off on the disciples. And what did he say? He said this, do you not yet perceive? Have you having eyes, do you not see? See, the disciples are with Jesus They are witnessing his power and his authority and his teaching, but they still haven't put the pieces together. They still can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. See, Paul tells us Jesus is the image of God. He's the perfect representation of God. He's God made flesh. Come to this earth. He is meant to be their all-satisfying treasure. Our all-satisfying treasure. But they still can't see him clearly. So Jesus wants to teach them about how they will come to know him and how they will come to see his glory. And this encounter here, it's only found in Mark. And if we just skim across it, it looks just like another one of Jesus' many miracles, but it's not. It's far from it. There are three things that are here that are unique, only found here. One, a partial healing, right? Jesus kind of like zaps him, doesn't really work. He heals him again. So we see, well, in that encounter, we see three special things. We see one, a... um, that it doesn't work the first time. He gets a partial healing too. We see Jesus had like this diagnostic checkup. It's very odd for Jesus. Do you see anything, he says? Every other time he just says, see, go home, you're, you're healed. He asks the question in this time. And then lastly, Jesus gives him a double dose. Right? He puts his hands on him again and enables him to see. So what's going on? Why would Jesus heal this man in stages? Why would Mark think it's significant enough to put it here when none of the other gospel writers did? Listen, we've said it, I'm going to keep repeating this. The greatest good of the gospel is the ability to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and be completely satisfied and totally happy. But that ability, hear me, that ability comes in stages. First, we are born blind to the glory of God. In the face of Jesus. This is what Jesus has been showing us the past few weeks. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are deceitful. We're sinners since birth. Every single human being is born spiritually blind. Okay? Now, we might not recognize that, but that's the reality. 
Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you hear that? The God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers. Why do people not believe? Because we are born blind. That's a huge that, that's a huge revelation. That should be a huge revelation for us. Why do some people reject Jesus? They're blind to his glory. They see a good teacher. They see a good man. They see a, a moralistic do-gooder. They see a guy who laid his life down for others. But they don't see God in the flesh. They don't see the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus. Why do people, some people scoff at your attempts to share your faith with them, to share the gospel with them? They're blind They cannot see the goodness. They cannot see the mercy. They cannot see the glory of God in Jesus. So how do we see? If we're all born spiritually blind, how do we come to behold Jesus as glorious? How do we see the glory of God in the face of Christ? Paul tells us specifically in the verse I already read, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, listen, for God said, let light shine out of darkness. That's creation, Let light shine out of darkness. That same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. How did God create light? Into absolute darkness, into the complete abyss, there's nothing there. God says, let there be light, and boom, there's light. So Paul says, how does a person come to see the beauty of Jesus? How does a person behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus? The same way that God spoke into creation. God speaks into the lives of his church, his called, his chosen, his predestined. He speaks into them the same way he spoke light into darkness. He speaks light into their hearts. The light bulb turns on. They can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Boom. That's how people get a saving glimpse of the glory of Jesus. God sovereignly gives them grace. A light bulb comes on inside. They see their own need, their own darkness, their own sinfulness, and they see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and they say, yes, I need Jesus as my Savior. We see that here with this man. He's born completely, or he's blind. He might not have been born blind, but he is blind right now, and Jesus touches him, and he heals him, kind of. This man's physical condition represents all of our spiritual conditions at birth. And what does he need? He needs a touch from Jesus. What do we need? We need the sovereign grace of God to shine the light in our life. But this is where things get interesting. Jesus, the son of God. Do you remember what Jesus did with a storm? Hurricane? Quit it! Whew! Be still, stop it, boom, silence. And everybody's, who is this, right? Demons, get out, go to the pigs, right? He, he's commanded people's attention. He's done the absolute impossible. And now a man comes to him who's born blind. And just a few weeks ago, he licked his lips, put his, touched his eyes. The guy was healed like this, right? What, is Jesus tired, right? He doesn't say, oh, you have little faith has nothing to do with this man. 
It's not this man's faith that's the problem. Jesus is doing this as a parable to teach us our greatest problem is this right here. Many of us in this room have been touched by Jesus. You have a saving knowledge of Jesus. But when, they, when Jesus, di- the diagnostic questions of what do you see, the man says this, I see men walking like trees. I see men, but they look like trees. What's he saying? First off, can this man see? I would say, yeah. Do you see anything? Kind of. I, I mean, there's a man in front of me. He kind of reminds me of a tree, though. We still have a problem. Right? And we don't see Jesus go, dang it, I used my left hand that time. All the money's in my right hand. This isn't a mistake. Jesus is teaching us something. This man's experience is still not lined up with reality. I know there's something in front of me. I see the son of God in front of me, but it looks like a tree moving around. I think this is one of the most difficult things about the gospel And I think it's brought many, many parents don't know how to teach their kids about this and therefore many kids have rejected the faith because of this principle right here. We've been convinced that we see clearly. Jesus is my savior. He's my savior. And then we get into high school and then we wonder why I care a whole lot more about the opposite sex than I do about Jesus. And then we get into our career. Why do I care so much more about making money than I do about Jesus? And, and, we, and we can even get in this doubt, like, am I even a Christian? Am I even, my heart is so, I just, Jesus is not a big deal to me. I just don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to be in community. I want to be saved, but I just don't find him that glorious. And we've been told all our life that we're a Christian. And so we think we've got all there is to get. And we're really depressed about it. And many people just write, I'm not going to go to church anymore. We need to know, seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus comes in stages. You don't get everything right away. Salvation, absolutely. You get salvation right away. You get the righteousness of God right away. All of your sin is removed. The wrath of God is removed. But you don't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus right away. You don't get it right away. My son... He get, you ask him what the gospel is, he's going to tell you Jesus died for my sins, but he doesn't get it like I get it. He hasn't experienced it. He hasn't lived long enough to experience it. This is a greater seeing. This is the most difficult thing about the gospel. Here it is. Let me just tell you this. If you believe the gospel, this is your confession. I get it. I love it. But I don't get it. This is the most frustrating thing about being a pastor for me. Some weeks I feel the grace of God and I get it in my bones. And then some weeks I get up here and I'm preaching because you guys pay my paycheck. I'm not preaching out of my love for Christ. I'm not preaching out of my awe of the glory of God. I'm preaching because it's my job. So frustrating to wake up in the morning and not be awed by Jesus, not be overwhelmed by the gospel of grace. Jesus is showing us here, seeing his glory 
doesn't all happen at once. It comes in stages. To know Christ as your Savior begins a process of greater and greater understanding of who Jesus is. When we put our faith in Christ, we see him and we know him, but we see him like this blind man sees him. It's, Jesus is blurred. He's cloudy. And this is why we see here, we, this is why we need community. This is why we need the church. This is why we need the ordinary means of grace, the scriptures. We need our missional community. This is what, this is, do you see Jesus asking this phenomenal diagnostic question? Jesus is the great counselor right here. He's a wonderful counselor. He says this, what do you see? This is what we need our missional community to ask us. This is what we need our discipleship group, our fight clubs to ask us. What do you see? How are you interpreting reality? The greatest problems in our life isn't what happens to us. It's how we interpret what happens to us. That's why one person gets cancer. At the end of the cancer, they see it as the hand of God waking them up to the reality that cancer is an analogy for sin. And, it, and sin is that destructive. And someone, Piper again, he's, he's preached a sermon. And he's wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. One person can get cancer and it can be the greatest gift at the end of it. They say, that was the greatest gift of my life. It pushed me into a nearness to Jesus. I saw the glory of God in the face of Christ more than any other before. And then the same cancer can cause someone to lose their faith. It's not in the experience. It's in the interpretation of the experience. Same thing goes with great, one person gets a raise one person gets a new job. One person thanks God, the giver of the good gift. Now I can bless more people. Now I can increase my giving to the church. Now I can serve my city in a greater measure. Another person goes, it's about time. Finally, they realized how good I am, how much of an asset I am to this organization. See, one person glories in themselves. One person glories in Christ. Now I think this diagnostic question Listen, this, this question needs to be asked to us on the heels of every major setback we've ever experienced and on the heels of every major blessing we experience. What are you seeing? What are you seeing right now when your life is difficult? What are you seeing? Are you seeing that Jesus is distant, that Jesus is cold, that Jesus is cruel? Is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing men like trees walking? Right? Are you seeing that the Father's far from you? You're not seeing clearly. You need to see the gospel in a clearer way. Same thing on a blessing. Is it your talent? Is it your education that got this for you? Are you seeing the hand of God? We say around Sacred City, do you have eyes that are shaped by the gospel? The greatest good of the gospel is the ability for us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and to be totally satisfied by it and completely happy. But when our sight gets blurry and the glory of Jesus is obscured by our own sin, by the temptations of the devil, by the cares of this world or any other thing, the answer is to come back to the gospel The answer is to come back to Jesus. 
Take another look. What are you forgetting? What are you not seeing about Jesus? When the gospel gets fuzzy, right? And it does for all of us. When the gospel gets fuzzy, we need another touch from Jesus. Now, what's interesting, one of the reasons I think we have a problem with this is because we've grown up in churches that preach about a Pauline picture of conversion, okay? The Apostle Paul, right? Well, Saul, murdering Christians, right? Sees Jesus, hates him. Thinks Jesus is a phony, thinks Jesus is a fake, thinks Jesus is a cult leader, thinks Jesus needs to be destroyed. He, he's on his way to kill more Christians, to throw them in prison. And we've all, heard, many of us have heard this, right? On the way to Damascus, what does God do? Knocks him off his horse, and I love it, because Paul, Saul, is spiritually blind. He can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And what does God do? Makes him physically blind. Bam! Knocks him off his horse. Now he can't see. What am I doing? Who is this? You've been persecuting me. Who are you, Jesus? Oops. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. I haven't been seeing the glory in the face of the Christ. And then what happens? His life gets so radically changed, they change his name from Saul to Paul, right? This guy becomes serious about his faith, unstoppable, beaten, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, can't keep this guy down, right? He goes from death to life. He goes from Saul to Paul. That's what conversion is. We've been teaching that. And that is conversion. That's one way God converts us. Radical conversion. You can see it with drug addicts becoming not drug addicts and becoming, you know, followers of Jesus. You can see it from, and all, you can see that. But that's not the only way people get converted. We're learning in the Gospel of Mark, this is Peter's eyewitness account. Okay? Peter, where does Peter get converted? Let me answer that for you. We have no idea. Okay? Next week, Peter's going to go, Jesus is going to say, who do people say that I am? Peter's going to go, the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus is going to be like, yes. And then Jesus is going to go, so I'm going to go die on a cross. He's like, no, never. And God says, get behind, or Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter, you're the Christ. You're not going to die on a cross. And Jesus says, you're exactly right, Satan. Like, whoa, Peter. Okay, and then what happens with Peter? Long down the road, Jesus actually does what he says he's going to do. He goes to the cross. He dies. Peter wigs out. Peter is the first one that runs back to his fishing net and goes back to the family business and says, oh, everything we believed was wrong. Jesus died and was crucified. Right? He runs back. Is, G is he saved? I would say, I think yes. I think Peter's already saved right here. When G I think when, when, when Jesus said, come follow me, and he dropped everything, I think that's the call, call of discipleship. Salvation began in that moment. But he sees as men walking like trees. He doesn't get the glory of God in the face of Jesus yet. So then, Jesus resurrected Peter. Peter says, oh, Peter, do you love, right? And he calls him back. 
Peter has a new experience. He can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus in a deeper and a greater way. And now he says, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And, uh, and Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And Peter's going to be the, the foundation, foundation apostle in the church in Jerusalem. And he's going, to be the, he's going to be the church planner right there. Peter's got it. He sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And then, and then in Acts, Peter's really hungry. <laughs> He's at the Simon the Tanner's house, and he has this vision of God, and he sees all these crazy animals that were unclean, that he couldn't eat, and then God speaks to him and says, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way, I've never done that. I won't eat anything unclean. I'm a good Jew. And Jesus says, don't call anything that I call clean, don't call it unclean. Rise up, kill and eat. And he's not just talking about food and ceremonial cleansing. He was talking about that, but he's also talking about there's no human race that's unclean. And everyone is sinners who need the grace of God. And this call to salvation, the call to gospel is open for the whole world. Okay? So Peter's like, oh, so this isn't just a Jewish thing anymore. The, gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ is actually a universal thing. It's a whole world thing. So do you see how Peter kind of gets it again? He, he gets a better glimpse of the supremacy of Jesus again? All right? Well, guess what? Then in Galatians 2... Peter's eating with, with the brother, the, the Jewish brothers and the Gentile brothers. Are eating, or he's eating with the Gentile brothers. He's eating with them. And then all of a sudden the Jewish brothers show up and he stops eating with the Gentile brothers and he goes and eats with the Jewish brothers because he doesn't want to, you know, he's, he's worried about this contamination. He's kind of with the Gentiles and with the Jews. God's already told him there's nothing unclean. And you know what Paul says to him? Paul, we see in Galatians 2, Paul said, he opposes him to his face in front of all the brothers, and he says, your conduct is not in step with the gospel. That's what he says. Your life does not represent the gospel. You look like a racist. You'll eat with the Gentiles here, but then when they show up, you go, when the Jews show up, you go and hang out with the Jews. See, he doesn't say, you needed to, you know, some kind, he goes deeper into the gospel. That's the response, to go back to the gospel. The original gospel that saves you, you're still not working it out. You still don't understand it. So where did Peter get converted? We don't know where Peter gets converted. What Peter needs, like most of us, I would say, very few of us have had a Pauline experience in a conversion. We need this reality that Peter had a greater glimpse of the gospel today than we had yesterday. A greater understanding of the glory of God in the face of Jesus than we did yesterday. Now, for us, because I, I, I get it. When I use biblical language, like the glory of God in the face of Jesus, it's easy for our eyes to glaze over. The glory of God in the face of, what in the world is that? People could actually do that and be satisfied and happy by seeing Jesus? Absolutely. But what would you look like? How do you know if you are beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Are you like this man here who's, 
You say you're a Christian, you say you see Jesus, but in reality, you see things very blurry. You don't understand all the work that Jesus has done for you. You don't understand the step, I would even say, I don't want to say the steps, but the steps in salvation. You don't understand the extent to which he went for you. And so you're just kind of, eh, the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, cool. Listen to what the Apostle John says. Whoever says he's in the light, okay, stop right there. Light. The light bulb has came on. Whoever says he's in the light, whoever says he can see, whoever says he loves Jesus, whoever says he knows Christ, listen. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What, what a... Here's what he's saying. The clearer we see Jesus, when the gospel is in HD, my love for my Christian brothers and sisters will be clear and evident. But if my love for my Christian brothers is waxing cold, it's because my glimpse of the gospel has gotten blurry. Here's a diagnostic check for us. How well am I loving the Christian brothers and sisters that God has placed in front of me? That's a barometer to show us how well we're seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When you believe the gospel, when you see that Jesus is the image of God, that he's the perfect son of God who willingly loved us to his death, he took the punishment for our sins that we deserve so that we could be accepted and loved and forgiven by God. When you believe that, God saves you into a community. He adopts you into a family. He calls the church. And then God sends you out on his mission with his church to make disciples. So the only way for us to make disciples is in this church, in the community, and on mission. But the only thing, hear this, that will keep us living in community and will keep us on mission is to, for us as a church and as individuals to be continually rediscovering the gospel. We need to see Jesus and his work for us in ever increasing measures day after day after day after day. A greater awareness of our sin, of our lostness, a greater awareness of his goodness and his love towards us. If we cannot, if we cannot see this, I, I think that, you know what this, Martin Lloyd-Jones said the saddest person on the whole planet is the Christian who thinks they see the glory of Jesus, but in reality, 
They're this man after the first touch. This is the unhappy Christian. This is the depressed Christian. We're not seeing things clearly. We think we are seeing things clearly, but we're not. We need a fresh touch from Jesus, a fresh sight of the gospel. This is what we need. Not any other thing. A clearer glimpse into who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is, this is why we get so confused in the church. When we join a church, and we join a community, we get in a missional community, and we find out, crap, everybody's unhappy like me. I thought I was going to join this group, and they're going to tell me how to be happy. Uh, somebody's, somebody's got the answer figured, figured out. We said it in our confession this morning. This will never be heaven. You will never be happy here, ultimately. You're going to get glimpses of it, pieces of it, but always with thorns, always with suffering, always mixed and mingled with sin. So what's the point? How, let's just do this. How well are you loving your Christian brothers and sisters? If you, if, if, this is why individualism doesn't work, right? If you're like, well, who, is, who do I know that is a Christian? If you're not in a community that you can see this, you won't even be aware that your sight of Jesus is jacked up. What is love? What is love? Here's what love is. 1 Corinthians 13. We just studied it last week, right? 1 Corinthians 13, that's what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love does not boast, love does not seek its own. So let me do this, ask ask yourself this question. This is how you can tell if you're seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. How's my patience? How's my patience with my brothers and sisters? If I understand the gospel that it takes a sovereign word of God to bring light to death, to light to darkness. How can I get frustrated when someone doesn't get it? Oh, they just don't get it. I really wish they just read this book or understand. It takes God speaking life into their soul. How frustrated do we get when people don't get it? See, we're not Believing the gospel. How's my kindness? How's my gentleness? How's my meekness? How often do I find myself thinking about my own way? How's my irritability? How's my resentment? And the funny thing is, this is how most people, when they get in a community, they get around other sinners, they start getting frustrated and impatient and tested to their limits. What do do most, most of us do? Time out. This is hard. I need a vacation. I need to take a break. I need to back off. I need to self-medicate by staying home and watching Netflix. That'll make it better. You're missing a point. Listen, your impatience was, this situation was sent by God 
That's Jesus saying to you, how are you seeing? I'm impatient. Clue. You're not seeing Jesus. You're not seeing the gospel clearly. Why am I so frustrated? You're not seeing the glory. You're forgetting how lost you were when Christ came to find you. You're forgetting how impatient you were and Christ came to save sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ came for the ungodly. You're forgetting these things. You're forgetting that God loves you in the, fa- in the face of your sin. You're forgetting these things. We need gospel eyes. See, community is sent by God to reveal my lack of sight. When my eyes get blurry to Jesus, I get frustrated, I get quick-tempered, I get short, I start feeling like nobody cares about me and look what I'm doing and I'm doing all this and I'm loving people and I'm serving and I'm giving my life and nobody cares about me. I know no missional community's ever leader has felt like that in here, ever. I open up my house, I won't even go there. What am I to do? What do you do? When you look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, and you go, oh, geez, if I saw the gospel and the glory of the God in the face of Jesus, I'd be loving, and I'd be kind, and I'd be patient, and I'd be gentle, and I'm not. I totally failed that test last night. Do you beat yourself up? Come on, suck it up. You should be farther along by now. Can't believe you did that. Shamed of yourself. Such a lousy Christian, I feel depressed. No. You look to Jesus. And you're reminded once again that Jesus loves sinners. It's really freeing when you kind of hear your community say, How are you seeing? And then you say, This is how I'm seeing. And you just spill it like, my wife and my boss and my kids. And they're, oh yeah, that sounds difficult, yeah. Where's Jesus? It's about my wife and it's about my kids and my boss. It's not about me and Jesus. And everybody knows, oh yes it is. No one can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and then be impatient with someone. It's impossible. Oh, so let me think. God loved me from eternity past, knew every sin I would ever commit, gave me, ult- gave me sovereign grace, saved me, sends the Holy Spirit. Can you think how patient the Spirit is? The Spirit is in you, right? And how often you grieve the Spirit on a day-to-day basis. And he never leaves you. Spirit never leaves you, never forsakes you. When I think about the patience of the spirit and the patience of Jesus within me, how could I ever be impatient with that Walmart checkout lady? It's impossible. We have, let me just say this, in order to sin, we have to take our eyes off the glory of Jesus and put them on something else. Listen, but you know what? There's a second person in here, and, and I, I, 
There's a second person in here that goes, Justin, I'm really aware of my sin. This, I'm, as I close here, I'm really aware of my sin. You might have grown up in a legalistic home. Um, I don't know. You, you might have done things that you think are, you think are is unforgivable. And uh, every single day you wake up with the thought of, I don't know if I'm forgiven. I don't know how he could love me. I don't know how I could be in community. I don't know how I could be a part of a church. If people knew this about me, I don't know. And the, the problem with you is you're elevating your own sin. You, you, you're, the glory is in your sin. You see your sin as more glorious than Jesus Christ. Let me, let me read this to you from John Newton. I will undertake to point you to an object that shall answer all your wants. Well, that, here's everything you want. Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto him as he hung naked, wounded, bleeding, dead, and forsaken upon the cross. Look unto him again as he now reigns in glory, possessed of all power in heaven and on earth, with thousands of thousands of saints and angels worshiping before him, and 10,000 times 10,000 ministering unto him, and then compare your sins with his blood, your wants with his fullness, your unbelief with his faithfulness, your weakness with his strength, your inconstancy with his everlasting love, if the Lord opens the eyes of your understanding, you would be astonished at the comparison. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus that we see in the gospel. Our sins are great, but our Savior is greater. And this morning, if, you are, if you've never embraced Jesus Christ by faith and you need that saving look, I pray that God's given you that look, that you see him dying on the cross in your place. And listen, if you are a bored Christian, I pray that you would see the glory of God in the face of Christ. That word, when I put those two words together, oh, I don't even like saying it. A bored Christian is an oxymoron. A bored Christian is a blind Christian. It's a man who's been touched by Jesus and everything he sees is still blurry. And you could walk out of here, you could try to walk with a swagger, but you're walking blind and you're going to be bumping into things, you're going to be hurting people, and you're going to be thinking you see clearly and you don't see clearly. And what do you need? You need a community of people to remind you, to point things out to you, to speak the gospel to you. You need a greater glimpse of who Jesus is. That's what we need. And, what, and Jesus graciously and gloriously gives it to us. So some of you in this room, you got saved and converted like Paul. Praise God for you. John Newton, I once was blind, but now I see. Right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I once was blind, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. But there's many of us in here. You're saved like Peter. And the greatest gift any person could give to you would be say, bro, you don't see it clearly. Sister, you're not seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus clearly. Your career is still more attractive to you than the glory of Jesus. 
that should, you, you need to say that because it sounds so ridiculous when you say it out loud. What? The glory of my career is greater to me than the glory of my creator? It sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. It's so freeing. I see men walking like trees. That sounds really ridiculous, but I had to say that out loud because that's what I'm experiencing right now. I'm not seeing things clearly. Praise God that Jesus is patient and kind with us and continually, year after year, moment after moment, gives us greater glimpses into the glory of who Jesus Christ is. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would give us sight, um, that you would convict us, uh, that we don't see, and that you would show us our need for community, our need to be uh, into the, in the Bible and reading scripture, and our need for prayer, our need um, that we need another touch from you, that we're saved, many of us in this room, that, that we've had saving sight, but we're still not seeing things clearly, and, and we're still not seeing your glory And I I ask that you'd gift us that. I know it's a gift of grace. It doesn't come by our own efforts. It's a gift of grace. And I ask that you would grant that to us um, this week. And for those of us in this room uh, that are still here and we're just checking Jesus out, uh, I pray that they would see their own need for a savior and they would see that uh, like, like you touch this blind man, that you can give them spiritual sight to see their own need and they would uh, repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Um, I thank you for the work that you've done in us, that you're continuing to do in us. Um, And now, Father, as we come to this table, that everyone comes to this table are people who say, I have been touched by Jesus. He's given me sight. And I've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But Father, I pray that everyone would also have the humility to say, I get it, but I don't get it. In my best moments, I see the glory of God in the face of Christ, but in my day-to-day moments, I struggle. I struggle to see the glory of God in Jesus' face as all-sufficient and all-satisfying. And God, you are so good to us that you give us gifts of grace like the supper here. Your body was broken for us. People who don't see clearly, blind people, Your body was broken for us to give us sight. Your blood was shed for us to forgive us all our sins and help us see Jesus. So I pray as we eat this morning uh, that we would receive it as a gift of grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.